So about eight years ago, uh, my sister-in-law, Kirsten, found out she was finally going to be a mom. Um, she'd been through a painstaking, a long process of adoption where she had you know, the applications and the interviews and the background checks and the waiting and the searching. And then she gets in the mail one day this picture of this girl that says, this is your infant baby daughter who's living currently in an orphanage in Vietnam. And we could hear her shouts of joy all the way from Grinnell. You know, she's so excited and she immediately starts making plans and preparations to head to Vietnam with her mom to pick up her child. And everybody was excited. And then a month or two later, she got another uh, piece of mail that said something has gone horribly wrong. And uh, it was the adoption agency who said, your daughter is, is very sick. In fact, the orphanage had recommended to the adoption agency who had recommended to the government that Kirsten not be able to come now and adopt this little girl because she was most likely not going to make it out of the orphanage alive. And if she did, she was going to be profoundly, physically, and mentally handicapped the rest of her life. It's devastating. Of course, over just a couple months, and the family rallied around her and tried to encourage her in the way that you do. You know, well, God's got a plan for you, and I know there's another child out there for you. And Kirsten just simply looked at us and said, no. It's me. I just can't tell the story without being emotional. She said, no. She said, that's my girl. You understand? That's my baby. She had turned her face and had seen this beautiful little girl. And she said, nothing is going to stand in the way of me going to pour out my love and all of myself on this little girl and give her the best life she can possibly have. And she looked past these grim medical reports and this grim prognosis, and she went up against two governments and an adoption agency and an orphanage, and she went to Vietnam with her mom. And she brought this little girl back and she went to the doctors and at the University of Iowa hospitals and got all these tests and there were all these theories and there were all these treatments for this little tiny girl. And Kirsten just kept, kept going. And this is a picture of her daughter Lydia today. A beautiful, amazing, joyful little girl who's not only bringing blessing to her mom's life, Kirsten, but to, to all of our lives. And she may grow to be seven, six someday. We don't know. She may have Marfan syndrome. She may, uh, she may not ever develop the, the skills to be able to live on her own. She might. She's surprising us every day. All we know is that she's an incredible blessing to her mom and to us. And I think Lydia, in so many ways, is us. She's blessed, and she's beautiful, and she's broken, and she's loved by a loving parent who gives everything for her to help her know how blessed she is, and now she's becoming a blessing to so many others. We're in our final week of our series, A Unique Future, where we're looking at our missional mandate at Orchard Hill Church that God has given us to uh, help next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. And it's not a new mission. In fact, this is how God has been working in and through Orchard Hill Church for the past 53 years. And we want to unapologetically become more of who he's calling us to be as we move into the future. And so we're unpacking this so we can move together like horses pulling in the same direction. And last week, Ed unpacked what it looks like for us to follow. This week, we're talking about what it looks like for us to be a blessing to a broken world. And we go way back to the beginning when God first invited people to be his people and started calling a people to himself. And he, right at the very beginning, determined that he was going to make his people into a conduit of his blessing for the world. Some of you know this, that when God reached out to Abram and invited him into a relationship, this is what he said to him. He said, the Lord told Abram, go from your country 
your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. God comes to Abram and he says, I am going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to pour out so much blessing on you. It's going to spill out over into all the people, over all the ends of the earth. And I can just see Abram at that time taking out his iPhone. You know, because all, you see, he, did, he, asked, he asked Abram to do one thing. He said, will you, will you follow me? I'm going to do all this, but will you follow me? Will you come into this new land? Right? Will you come with me and be part of what I'm doing in this new world? And I can see Abram taking out his iPhone and taking a picture of the mountain in the distance, you know, and then like tweeting out, at lot, 12-4, welcome to Abram Nation, hashtag blessed, hashtag moving day, right? <laughs> Some of you are familiar with Twitter. You know what a hashtag is. Some of you don't. I'm going to give you a little lesson. Because one of the things we talked about, especially with our younger staff, when we were talking about our mission statement, was this use of the word bless. And the world has kind of taken this word, this word and devalued it greatly. And then you see it all over social media as this much-used, trendy sort of word. And I did my own search to kind of see what they were talking about. And so we have a couple of these. A.C. Slater tweets, currently trying to wipe off bar stamps on the way to church. Hashtag blessed. Uh, we literally, I hope none of you are here, actually. Um, P. Stone, uh, we literally could not have had, gotten a more perfect day for prom. Hashtag blessed. Cedar Falls students feeling that way after last night's prom. Beautiful day yesterday. Gifts for my birthday. This could have been my daughter. Were just enough to cover the parking ticket I got this week. Hashtag blessed. And one more. Must say it, I have some pretty amazing followers, all right. Heart quality people. Heart. Hashtag blessed. Glad you enjoy my tweets. Seems like we would hope that maybe Jesus would tweet that about us, right? But others use this hashtag to talk about their vacations that they go on or give health updates or their latest achievements, so much so that the New York Times concluded this about the word blessed. They said it's now the go-to term for those who want to boast about an accomplishment while pretending to be humble, fish for a compliment, acknowledge a success, or purposely elicit envy. This is not the blessed we're talking about this morning. This is a far cry from the kind of blessing God was inviting Abram to experience that day. He invited him to be his people. All right, and this morning we are reclaiming this word bless, and we want you to understand, and we're making no mistake, that really what God is referring to when he says, I want you to be a blessing, is, is the ultimate blessing that we have in his son, Jesus Christ, who would come to us through Abram's family line. And he's also clearly calling us to pass on that same blessing of Jesus and bring Jesus into a new land, into a world where he is so badly needed. My wife and I, uh, Cindy and I, have three incredible children. And uh, when our oldest, Lewis, was born 19 years ago, uh, we got a Michael Card CD of lullabies to be able to put them to sleep to this music. And one of our favorite songs on that whole CD was this blessing song. And it went something like, um, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face toward you. And give you peace. And give you peace. And give you peace forever. Okay, so much better when Michael Card sings it, but that's how it went, okay? And every night for the last 19 years, nearly every night, 
my wife and I have either sung those words or spoken those words or exchanged those words or prayed those words with at least one of our kids. And it's like my favorite time of day because it's just this moment of blessing that happens. And some of you know that this blessing comes to us actually through the Old Testament. It's a blessing that God gave to, to Moses to pass on to Aaron, to pass on to his sons, to pass on to the next generation of Israelites. And it's found in the sixth chapter of Numbers. This is what it says. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. It's an amazing picture of how God blesses us. This morning we want to look at three specific ways in this passage that God blesses us and three specific ways we can pass on God's blessing to other people in our world. So here's the three things. First of all, God turns his face towards those that he blesses. He sees you. He pays attention to you. And not just to you, but, but he pays attention to the outcast and the marginalized and the broken. We see stories of this as we read about Jesus all the time, seeing the people who were so often overlooked in society, simply moving towards them, touching them, the sinners, the lepers, the children, the blind people. They all came and, and they received his blessing. Second, God offers his grace to those that he blesses. He didn't come into our world to condemn the world, but out of love he came to the world to save it, right? He doesn't merely withhold judgment, but he offers us abundant life. Every good and perfect undeserved gift is a gift from our Father in heaven. And then God offers his peace, his shalom to those he blesses. He listens to us. He invites us to share our pain and our struggles and our sins. And anybody who's humble enough to take him up on this invitation, he offers them restoration and wholeness, newness. So we're going to unpack these a little bit this morning and share a few stories of what that looks like here at Orchard. And the first thing I'll talk about is how God turns his face towards us in this broken world. And he declares, I am for you, right? I'm not against you. I'm not here to, to, to hurt you or harm you. I want to bless you. I love you. He sees beyond our outward appearances and the sin in our lives and, and the false image that sometimes we project. And he sees his image in us and he moved, moves towards us to call that image out of us. He stoops down and whispers and says, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he asks us, as he, as he calls out our gifts and our strengths and our talents and our passions, he asks us to go and do the same thing with others. And it sounds like this beautiful, wonderful thing. It sounds like the NFL draft to me. I watched a little bit of the draft this weekend. And it's like he's saying to all of us, you've all just been selected in the first round with the first pick by the best team in the NFL, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right? And it's like they had to trade up to get you because they're so good they have a low draft pick. Right? But unfortunately, this is like, I think, sometimes then how we think we should bless others. We, we tend to look to those who are good at stuff, who are good at things that we value, who, who uh, are like us maybe in some ways, who can, who can help us achieve certain things. Or maybe they're just around us and they're familiar and they're comfortable to us. But what about the people who are different than us? What about the people who are far away, people we don't know or don't understand, or people who disagree with us? Or maybe they aren't good at the things we value, the things that could help us. You know, when Lewis was in that crib, 
it was easy for, for me uh, to be able to, to, to pray that blessing on him and to sing that song to him and to put him, put him to sleep at night. And as he grew, to be able to see some of the amazing, beautiful gifts and strengths and talents that God had given to him and to affirm him in some of those. And as he got older, it became just a little bit harder. Some walls started coming up between us. And I would have to pull him aside a little bit and say, Hey, bud, remember, I'm, I'm for you. I'm with you. I, w- I want things to go well with you. And then I kind of discovered that you know, our definitions of what it looked like to go well with him maybe looked a little bit different at times. And, uh, and we were very different people. And then at the same time, we were very much the same in, in very uh, bad ways, <laughs> very difficult ways. And uh, this divide started to grow, and it actually became easier for me to start seeing some of the the weaknesses in him or some of the negative things in him and harder to see the good in him. And it was a real challenge for me. I didn't handle this well at all. We were just so different in so many ways. And at times, I actually got so discouraged that I was just like, I'm done. I I can't do this anymore. And it was easier to turn away from my son than to turn towards him. And then my wife would just... Who's a much more gifted, natural blesser than I am, would, would come up next to me and she would just remind me of some amazing things about my son. And we would, we would pray together and we would have other people around us who would remind us some good things about our son. And then as we pray, I remember how patient and good God has been with me and I'd take another look at my son and keep working at turning my face towards him. It's hard work though. This is a challenge to us. And if we're going to be a a blessing in a broken world, I think our church needs to get better at being people like my wife who are bridge builders and encouragers in this this challenge, who who can help us stay on task and to keep tearing down walls that stand between us and other people in our own families and in our community. And believe it or not, some people think that there's actually a wall or a division between us uh, in Cedar Falls and the community of Waterloo. I grew up here, I always thought it was more of a river, but some people think there's this wall between us. And as I grew up, there was always been a rivalry between Cedar Falls and Waterloo. And I would hear stories all the time of, of people uh, explaining what the differences were between the two cities. But not only were they were telling stories, they were actually trying to keep us a little bit separate, and they were ascribing values to some of these stories that they were telling. And, and by extension and association, sometimes... When they were ascribing values to these differences, they were actually ascribing values to people of the community. And I know that I inherited certain attitudes and beliefs and opinions that aren't healthy. And they're not even right. And I worked at KWO in Waterloo for a number of years. And I know the stories that get attention, the stories that get told that perpetuate certain attitudes and opinions. But I also know there's so much more to the story and I am so thankful to be a part of a church where people are working hard to, to find others in the community to just, to just stop and turn and look towards each other and call out the good they see in each other, to, to call out God's image that they see in one another and to be a blessing and to say, I am for you. We are for you. I've got four pictures that I want you to take a look at. These four pictures are... Um, Art projects that were created by our youth art team, a group of people who have been together, students, kids, leaders, adults, for the last five or six years. Uh, It's a partnership between Harvest and Orchard Hill Church. Harvest is located over in Walnut Neighborhood in East Waterloo. And uh, 
I don't know if you can see some of these. I don't know what you see in these pictures, but in that peacock picture, part of what makes up that peacock picture are silhouettes of the kids who are actually part of this mural project. It's their very silhouettes. They are actually part of this mural painted on this huge wall in downtown Waterloo. And while they worked on this project, they were learning that they are actually part of this amazing, beautiful mural that God is painting in the world. And then the, I love the McDonald's garbage thing and the mud puddle. It's like that was taken by a young person, a child, who's learning to follow Jesus by learning to look at all of the ugliness and garbage around our world and to see beauty in it and to turn it into art. And then the love is power, mural painted downtown and, and the watercolor painting hung on a neighbor's door, random neighbor's door, as a surprise when that person comes home to be reminded that God is always reaching out to us with his beauty and with his blessing. Tri-Pie makes pies and picnic in the park, bringing people together to share in food and worship. All of these things, they're great. And, and it's more, though, than this blessing of artwork and creativity and good food and good pies, right? These are just blessings that flow out of a community of people who have committed to seeing across the divide, to seeing each other, to not let age or skin color or social status or zip codes or preconceived hand-me-down attitudes and opinions keep them from facing each other. Instead, they, they see God's image, they call it out, they, they live it in color, they paint it in full color. And people are being restored and blessed, and we are too, through their commitment and their experience. It all began with turning their faces towards one another. So what Buck Clark, who's the mayor of Waterloo, has been trying to do for the last six years to call attention to all that's good and right and beautiful in his community. And that's what Jane Lindeman, the superintendent of schools in Waterloo, has been trying to do in the school system in Waterloo. These are both members of our church, shows Mayor John Cruz. And they need us to come alongside them and pray for them and support them and walk with them in this journey because there's so much history and energy that works against this. And so many employers and teachers and students you too are being called to turn your face towards others in this community and call out God's image and say to them, I am for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So what happens every Sunday morning, by the way, down in our kids' ministry as parents and students, volunteers, they go and they spend time with our children and they, and they pray with them and they listen to them and share snacks with them and they share God's story with them and they serve them. They just bless them. They're committed to making sure that those kids don't leave here without knowing God loves them, God is for them, and this church loves them, and this community is for them. And it's not just kids. We know that the world is hungry for this blessing. It's, it's in Baltimore. In Ferguson, our nation, it's in Nepal. It's in the family member who's getting divorced, or your friend who's an alcoholic. It's in the, the single parent who's just at their wit's end at the end of another day. It's that anxious or defiant son or daughter in your life. There's so much hunger in our world. Ron Rollheiser, an author, explains, says, so much of our hunger is a hunger for a blessing. So much of our sadness comes from the fact that nobody has ever taken delight and pleasure in us in a non-exploitative way. Demonstration of this hunger that's out there. My wife sent out an email last summer, at the end of the summer, to several of our friends whose sons were going off to college and invited them to come be part of a blessing ceremony. We were simply going to read some scripture, affirm these young men, and uh, maybe cast a little vision for their future. And she said, Go ahead and pass this on. And we thought maybe 10, 15 people would show up. Our deck, a pretty good sized deck on the back of our yard, 
couldn't hold all the people that showed up. They were overflowing into our kitchen. And kids were showing up without their parents, hungry for this blessing. It was a beautiful night of affirming and casting vision and praying with these young boys. As an employer or a teacher or a coach or a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or just a member of this church, who is God calling you to turn your face towards them? How might you be a blessing to them in this broken world? God does more than just turn his face towards us, right? As we talk about, he, he also gives us his grace. That's the gospel. God sees us, he looks at us, he sees our sinful nature, but he doesn't come to condemn us. And he doesn't merely withhold judgment, but he offers us eternal life, abundant life through his son, Jesus. He extends his grace to us, even to his enemies. And he asks us to send, extend this same grace to others. And I was thinking how this has happened in my own life. And I was remembering a story when I was in junior high. I wasn't as cool as I am now. And uh, we, were on a, we were on a tour at the state capitol. Walt, don't get me in trouble for this. And, and then we were at the Salisbury House and some other historical buildings. And a couple of my friends were getting bored. One of them ended up going on to marry Kurt Warner, um, beside the point. But they get a little bored, and so we're walking through the Salisbury House, and, and the one says, we'll give you a million dollars if you spit over the balcony. It might not have been a million. It might have been one. I don't know. But it didn't take much, and I never did get paid. But... I thought, okay, and I didn't like, you know, get a big loogie or anything. I just kind of got a little saliva in my mouth and casually walked over and dropped over the edge and kept walking right into the room. Nasty, horrible thing to do. And um, I got caught. It happened to just land right on the secretary's desk. Um, I'm sure she was really happy about that. Uh, and so I, I got caught, and then, and then I lied about it on top of it. And um, I got kicked out of student council. I wasn't allowed to run for student council the next year. And it was, it was a big deal. And I remember my dad coming into my room one night. And my dad was the assistant principal at the other junior high across town. So I had thoroughly embarrassed and humiliated him. And he knelt down my bed, and I was just kind of scared to death. And he just asked me what happened. And I lied right to his face. I had my story, and I was sticking to it. And my dad, I remember, just gently... Reminded me that he loved me. Reminded me that I could always be honest with him. And he got up and he walked out. He didn't call me out. And I knew that he knew that it was a lie. But he just calmly walked out. And then I walked into school a couple days later and I called to the principal's office. And uh, the principal was chewing me out because uh, he was wondering why I'd asked my dad to call him to to kind of uh, lighten some of the punishment and the consequences, which I hadn't done. And it occurred to me, I had embarrassed my dad, lied to his face... And he humiliated himself to go to bat for me and my future with this principle. And I can't begin to tell you what that did inside me. You know, what that did for how I saw myself and how I saw my dad and our relationship. Grace, like, called me up and it called me out as well that day. Right? And grace helped me see my father in a whole new way. Grace is powerful and When we extend God's grace to others, this is exactly what happens in their lives. As they come to see their Heavenly Father in a brand new way, not as some demanding God to steer clear of, who's got all these commands and has punishment for them waiting when they break and violate His commands, but instead a God who invites them to come and be restored, who has their best interest at stake. People's perspectives on God change and they're drawn to Him when we bless a broken world by extending God's grace to them. 
And finally, I think when we turn our face towards others, when we see others, when we offer them this grace, God actually brings his peace, his shalom into our world, into our, into our communities. You know, we often think about peace, we think of it as meaning the absence of conflict, and that's certainly part of it. But it means, in the Bible, when, when God talks about his shalom and his peace, it means so much more. It means it's the way God meant it to be. Life is the way God meant it to be. Nicholas uh, Wolstorff says this, Shalom is a vision of what it is that God wants for human creatures, a vision of what constitutes human flourishing and our appointed destiny. And God wants us to do this with our neighbors, to bring this shalom and this wholeness into our neighborhoods, into our communities, even to our rivals and to our enemies, where complete restoration and wholeness can happen. This last story. Brian Carr is a member of our church here at Orchard Hill Church, and he uh, went to a conference and he heard about this ministry called Jobs for Life, and he was inspired and he came back and he started this same ministry here in our area where he's determined to be a blessing by helping men who have um, been cast aside or, or made mistakes um, or, or just aren't part of society. Maybe they're coming out of prison or rehab. And, he, and he's determined to help give them some life skills like conflict resolution and integrity, how to, how to have integrity, um, uh, discipline, and help them overcome barriers so that they can be part of society, so they can see the value in themselves and begin to understand they have a purpose and to find that in meaningful work and the relationships that come from that. And on this journey, he invites this other man. He, he meets this man who's an owner of a construction company. And so he invites this, this owner of the construction company to come and check out the class that he's doing. And while the guy's there, he, he gets inspired and he says, you know, that's my story. I was one of those guys who was struggling, who had made mistakes, who was cast aside. And I want to be a blessing. And so I've been trying to hire some guys and give them second chances, give them job skills, like teach them how to do construction and, and teach them just to show up on time and, and how important that is, how to work with other people. So you got these two men who are like seeking the peace, seeking the shalom of other men in our community. And God brings them together in an amazing and powerful way. One who's bringing them life skills, another one who's bringing them job skills. And there's a whole new level of wholeness and restoration that's happening in young men's lives who just are desperate for this blessing and this second chance. God does amazing things when we seek the peace and the shalom. Of our city. We want to continue to be a church like this at Orchard. Or we're like Brian Carr and like members of the youth our team or like my sister in law, right, who see people who are desperately need of a second chance. And we willing to take on governments and institutions and preconceived ideas and beliefs and opinions who whose heart breaks for the child who's who breaks God's heart. And we're willing to commit our lives and our resource and our time to go after these people and to bless these people and also for them to be able to see us and to see our brokenness and to see our, uh, the image of God in us as well so that God can bring about this shalom and this peace that he so desperately wants to bless us with. Will you continue to join us or will you join us for the first time to give yourselves and your life and your resources to this mission here at Orchard Hill Church? We hope that you will. Will you pray with me? Father, you have poured out your blessing in so many rich and abundant and amazing ways. Uh, it it's blows my mind that you would actually set this, this whole uh, 
this whole life of being your people up this way. That you would call one person and, and say, I want to bless you, and I'm going to pour it out on you, and you're going to become a blessing to the world. And in fact, what happens, Lord, when we join you in this, we discover even more blessing and more fullness of that blessing. Father, we don't want to miss out on that. We want to thank you this morning for being so good to us. And uh, would you help us, Lord? We know there's a cost to this. We know it's not easy. We know it's hard work. Will you help us to have the courage and the accountability and the community to go together in this mission that you're calling us on? And may we see uh, your shalom take over our community. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.